Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So on this episode of the podcast, I am interviewing Sam Alsop-Hall. Sam is the managing director and co-founder of a company called Improve. And Improve specialise in unscheduled care, system flow and discharge planning and many other things. I never, ever want people to feel uncomfortable with the questions that I ask, but there are certain guests where I feel like maybe I can pose a more challenging question. And I thought Sam would be one of those people today. And I asked him what his entrepreneurial issue is. What is the thing that drives him? What is the event that's happened in his life in the past, which shapes how he thinks and acts today? So we talk about that and we all have it. We all have it. We talk about relationships and the impact of running a business whilst you're, you know, you're married and you've got a young family. So Sam shares with us his dynamic and how they make it work. And also we talk about COVID, like Sam's a young guy, he's 30, you know, he got hospitalized with COVID. So he shares his, shares kind of what happened with him and his impact on work because he just started his new business. So it's really, really interesting. And I really, really appreciate Sam being honest. You know, it's nerve wracking. <laughs> like I, I totally understand it's nerve wracking, but it was such, such a good conversation. I am really, really, I'm so chuffed that I get to do this and people feel that they can share on this podcast. So enjoy. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? All good. Thanks, Tari. Yeah, you? Yeah, all good. I feel feel calm and excited. I've been really looking forward to speaking with you. We had a like a pre-chat before and I was just saying before we came on air, we both kind of went away, then messaged each other like, I really enjoyed our conversation. It's really thought provoking. So we will touch upon some of the things that we discussed. But to start off, Please, could you share what has been the highlight of your week? To be honest, highlight of my week sounds a bit twee, but um, taking my daughter to school this morning. So I think it's a sort of mirror into my world or a window into my world because um, I took my daughter to school. We got outside of the of the school gates and then I paused, 
loaded up a Microsoft Teams meeting on my phone and then spoke to all my team in the, the car park. And then got out, once we finished the team, got out of the car, dropped my daughter to school, got back in the car, carried on the Teams meeting. And then once the Teams meeting's finished, just drove back home. But it's that type of like planned chaos that I love. That's my been my highlight of the week. Just taking to school and, you know, seeing her catch up with little friends and trot into the... the <laughs> she's just really cute so that yeah it's probably my highlight of the week but it's not really can't really get up too much at the moment can we because of lockdown so what has been a moment in your week where you thought oh for christ's sake um i'm, I'm being ghosted by a client at the moment okay <laughs> hopefully you might listen to this <laughs> i'm being ghosted so i've i've you know something really important in my world something needs to be done and I just can't get hold of him. And, you know, I appreciate I work with the health service and they're really busy, but it just takes a little text to say, I can see you've called me nine times. I can see you've watched. <laughs> I can see you. I feel like a bit of a stalker. So I don't know, negative of the week, just becoming a stalker probably. Okay. And so who are your clients? What do you do? Yeah. So um, the NHS is our client. We focus on two things improve we do non-elective flow improvement so supporting organizations at a system level from pre-hospital all the way through the patient's journey in an acute hospital and then all the way after being in hospital in their post-acute journey the focus is improving flow so we call ourselves a system flow consultancy like to say we're the first one and then the other thing that we do which is our second business unit is focused on improving continuing healthcare assessments and making sure they're done by the framework that they're done using the latest technology and that they're keeping the ccg's budget for chc under control because um i think it's a big area where health and social care meet and there's a lot of activity around the way people's care is funded when they get older so yeah two things really non-elective flow and chc but you do other stuff as well yeah i do some other things that like I'm, I'm a very distractible guy. So we set up the business, Liam and I, and we were like, right, we're doing non-elective flow and we're doing CHC. And I think four months in, Liam was like, what are these invoices over here, Sam? And I was like, oh, that's just for um, the technology clients that we now support to access the NHS market. And he was like, right, and how do we do that? And I said, well, you know, we help them develop their value proposition, improve their social media marketing, improve their branding, you know, learn how to scale their sales force. And he's like, right. He, he just loves it. He just leaves me to it. He's like, okay, you do that bit then, Sam. I'll I'll see the other bits. That's the the main sort of um, parts of improve that we that we focus on. Okay. So how describe to me your partnership? Because I'm thinking if you've got a business partner that doesn't know that you do, you've created another part of the business. He's not aware. Describe to me your relationship and who does what. Yeah. So. Um, we're really lucky actually because we kind of uh, it sounds a bit romantic it's not romantic <laughs> we found each other um, about three years ago Liam and I and we were working together and we we're working for a big PLC company together and what we've just found is we're just like really in tune and we just trust each other's judgment about things so in terms of our business relationship it's kind of not a problem that Sam's going off and doing this random stuff over here in the same way that it's not a problem that Liam's doing random stuff over there, but what kind of keeps us together is the core focus of Improve. You know, 95% of the activity is non-elective and CHC. And Liam's background is um, focused on continuing healthcare. And my background's focused on system flow and urgent care. Okay. So 
it's almost like we've got two businesses in the same business, but because of the way that we've amalgamated them to focus on system flow, you know, CHC is a really important thing to stop people coming back into hospital. And then obviously I'm trying to stop people coming into hospital as part of our urgent care and non-elective flow business. So it's kind of complementary to each other. And that's why we decided to go into business together. But yeah, day to day, we're um, sort of like the nutty professor, me. And, and then Liam's the right, really sort of calm and cool, collected and like sort of organised one. And that's, we're like yin and yang in that way. We, we sort of bounce off each other really well. Okay, cool. So you've had a really big year. You've set up a business and you've had COVID and quite seriously. Talk to us about that. I mean, I didn't expect to go. I kind of went a bit viral on LinkedIn. I put up a picture of myself in hospital um, and went a bit viral about it because... Yeah, it looked terrible. Like it is shocking, you know, it looked like you were really, really sick. Yeah, really sick. The respiratory consultant described me as a, a, a medical miracle, which, yeah, I like that. <laughs> you know, you're 30 years old, you're not the right demographic to get COVID. You caught COVID playing golf. We, you know, we ultimately found that I caught COVID outside playing golf. And then you've ended up literally, you're on my list to take to intensive care. You're on a CPAP machine. You know, you're very, very poorly. And then she said, you just like, bounce back really fast in hospital too but it was so scary because I'm quite blase like when you're 30 you're like yeah okay I'm not really that at risk my health's not the you know I'll, I'll get to health in a minute I'm building a business right now so I'll get to health in a minute I don't think I'm unhealthy you know I've got an all right diet I do a bit of exercise but COVID just absolutely wiped me out I just remember um the bit that's the strangest bit is I was I was upstairs in our house and my wife came in and she like woke me up and she said I've called you an ambulance and I, I was trying to sort of go what, what have you called me an ambulance for I'm not that bad and then I didn't I just went thanks and then the ambulance came and blue lighted me to the hospital and you know I ended up having like the blood gas test and getting admitted onto a ward and then positive covid test and then I arrived in the hospital and I thought I'll be fine. I'll be here a day or so and I'll be out. And I wasn't, you know, I was eight days there. I was on a CPAP machine. I was drips coming out my arms and fluids and morphine. And yeah, it was horrible. And I've, I've never been in hospital at all, like never, ever. And then in my ward, and I think the scariest thing about COVID is in my ward, there were six men and we were all in a, you know, what's called a red ward. We'd all been tested positive for COVID. And of the six men, three of them died. And the, the age range was 30, me, to 92. And the 30-year-old and the 92-year-old went home. Wow. It was, it was the guys in the middle, the 55-year-olds that didn't make it. And you just thought, I'm watching the news and they're telling me, you know, don't worry about it. If you're not over 65, don't worry about it. But do worry about it because you don't know how it's going to affect you at all and you know I was social distancing I was wearing masks I didn't really go out and do stuff apart from playing golf I caught it on a golf course I was in hospital for eight days and I was very very sick so super um sort of defining moment I think of of my year but probably of my life as well and like we were supposed to meet a while ago and you messaged me and obviously I'd known that you'd been in hospital and you I think you just said 
like I've worked this morning, but I'm, I'm feeling really terrible. Can we reschedule? It's like, no problem. And I think I messaged you back like, I'm not going to say to you, you shouldn't be working because I would do exactly the same. So you had started up your business and then kind of smack bam in the middle, you had got COVID and, but you had this business, you were working. Tell us about your recovery. And I think it kind of will help people understand your mindset and like your drive around your work. Yeah. I mean, so basically the first, the first three months of Improve, we, we started Improve incorporated 6th of March, 2020. And the first three months of Improve, you know, the pandemic hit and there's me and Liam and we're on Microsoft Teams, Zoom calls. We just didn't leave bedrooms, basically, upstairs in our houses for 7am till 8pm every single day. Didn't go outside, hardly at lunch. And probably by around about like July, August time, we were both exhausted, but the business was moving and the business was starting to sort of get some traction. And then we had the summer and, you know, I was playing golf and I was thinking, oh, this entrepreneur life's not, not hard. This is easy. Um, and then, you know, the business was growing and, the, and it was getting um, more and more traction and, you know, we're delivering projects on time and on budget for our clients and we're just flying. And then just literally October, I'm, I'm out. I'm just gone. Like, I didn't exist as far as, Poor Liam, as far as Liam's concerned, like I'm in hospital, but it's not just the eight days in hospital. It was after that. I came home and I'd, I'd, I'd lost nearly two stone of weight. I was so weak and so tired all the time. And a lot of my people, my, you know, people who listen to this podcast, clients and, and contractors and people that work with me, I'll send them them voice notes and on WhatsApp, I send them voice notes and they could hear that I was so breathless. And people were saying, Sam, like, stop working. Or, Sam, you've got to take a break. And if you read the comments on the LinkedIn post that I did, everyone said, no, like, slow down, stop, stop. But you're talking to a guy who, like, in March, put it all on the line to start a company with his friend. And I've got two little girls and I can't stop. If I stop and the business doesn't get going, We've made too many sacrifices too late. So I came back to work after eight days after being out of hospital. And I had to do exactly what you're saying. I'd, I'd work in the morning and then I'd literally have to go to bed for two hours, have a nap, and then come back and do some more emails and do some more calls and then stop and then go back to bed. Like, And my wife was just like so worried about me and she was so upset and she's like, you're just not taking care of yourself. But it's hard to explain that you know how business works in terms of like pipeline, you know, to lose momentum in October when Christmas is coming basically means January and February and March are, are, you know, we're dead. Well, I suppose I would disagree a little bit. So I, but I, I do understand, I feel like I understand and I can relate, but in hindsight, do you think if you'd have taken three weeks off, your January and February would have been dead. In hindsight, no, but you, but you're in that absolute zone of like I call, I call it with some of my friends. I call it beast mode, and you've you've gone, you've turned the switch on for beast mode in March, and you are so focused and so all encompassing around improve around your business, and then to sort of try and turn that back off again 
is is really really difficult and you know Liam was saying dude like take rest I've got it I've got it I'm, I'm sorting out it's fine and like I said at the start we trust each other and I'm so confident in his skill set and I'm so confident in who he is that he, he did have it under control but I'm also a massive control freak and I like to yeah. see that it's all under control so in the end I am um, I worked all through November all through December up until Christmas Eve and then I actually took two weeks off because I realized what you're saying it was all right it was okay I didn't have to be you know 100% there all day every day I also had COVID. I wasn't as sick as you, but I ended up having four weeks off and we'd spoken before and I would, uh, this business, I've had this business for nearly six years. I would never have ever imagined I could take that much time off. I'd have been like, you're crazy. You know, like I won't have a business. I'm the business. And it was absolutely fine. I've got a small team and we're in January now. Like I came back to like two new clients and it was like, there is that lag effect though, you know, like those clients are the result of the work that I'd put in a while ago. So I do understand there is a little bit of a lag if you take your foot off the pedal, but sometimes you, you're forced, you're forced to. And I think I've come back, I'm so much more creative. I've got so much more energy. And I think that if you love your work, I, I like, I get it, but I think sometimes, not all the time, but I think sometimes it's like, it is okay. And if your business cannot survive you taking a little bit of time off the net that's a problem yeah exa- exactly and you know we worked out a few few areas of the company where I was a single point of failure or Liam would be a single point of failure and you know we tried to address that in terms of using things like um, accounting software that's different or making sure that we've got um, like a SharePoint set up so that the files that are in my inbox are in his inbox and stuff like that so we are um, addressing it, but I think that, yeah, it, it's just really, it's really difficult to describe, but my, my discharge letter from the respiratory consultant, when I had my outpatients appointment, it said, Sam's been advised not to work, but work gives him energy and gives him spark. And we think it's helping his recovery. So, you know, I think that because a lot of people bash the sort of, I call it like hustle mode. Yeah. A lot of people bash that culture. And I just think, no, like that is how people become successful is hard work. You know, hard work beats talent every day of the week. And I think that when you're that type of mindset and you just can't do what you usually do, it was horrible. It was so hot. The first week back and I'm just sat watching Netflix on my, um, on my iPad, just thinking, oh my gosh, look at all this time that's wasting. <laughs> it's just wasting. It's so, I mean, yeah, hustle culture. Um, I would, I think I disagree, but then it it depends on how successful you want to be. So I feel like I work hard and I enjoy my work and I would say that I'm quite ambitious. But at the same time, I've booked to go to Everest. I'm quite happy being on my own. I'm quite happy. It's a different sort of challenge. It's a different sort of ambition. Sometimes I just like going off and just no noise I say like life above the clouds and I I like both I like working really hard to afford me the time and opportunities to do other things I think if I only worked if I had no other interest I'd be I think I'd be quite sad I think what I something that I love I think could would turn into something that I didn't love if I only did that 
yeah and I, th- I think um i totally see it in terms of i know that say for example i've got 100 hours of energy a week i'm currently in my life i'm probably putting 90 of those 100 hours into my company but what i would like to do in the future is have there's 100 hours of the week and five hours i'm spending trying to get better at golf because i love playing golf or, you know, 10 hours, I'm spending more time with the family and trying to teach my daughter to read or to do something that's going to help her. But at the moment, I'm, I'm very out of balance. And I think that the COVID experience, like, showed me that really, like, big mirror. Like, that was, you know, the first thought I had when I was starting to feel better was, right, I need to check my emails, right, I need to do this. And um, a lot of people who know me know I'm a very intense character, which is, you know, it's just part of who I am. But I think that, it's so intensely focused on work, 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 work. And I really do want to try and get to a position now where I spread the energy across more areas of my life. And I think you're just further along on that journey, you know, things like Everest, it's still being driven. It's just you're doing it for a different purpose. Yeah. So one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about is your relationship. So we had a fantastic conversation about the impact of growing a business when you're in a a long-term relationship. We're both married, both got kids. And you talk about, you know, 90% of your focus is on your business. It isn't, you know, like it's a new business. So um, I, I, I get it. But I think what I don't hear so much is we talk about business, talk about working hard, talk about productivity. But running a business while having a family, having a relationship can be really, really tough because you're so focused on trying to make a success. But then you've got your children and your wife or your husband saying like, I'm over here, like pay me attention. So help us understand what the dynamic is like in your household. So when Charlotte and and I first got together and were first married, we were 50-50, like 50-50 on bills in the house, 50-50 on, you know, activities in the house, 50-50 everything really. And I think um, we made a conscious decision because we both want to be business owners. We both want to have our own businesses. And we made a conscious decision together to say, right, you know, Sam, you're going to launch your company. And for that reason, you know, she stopped her, her company. She stopped doing it. And so you, you could argue, and I do would definitely say this, that Charlotte's the, the foundation that allows me to be able to do what I'm doing with Improve because without her making her sacrifice of stopping her own business and giving all of her energy and support to me, then I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing and I wouldn't have been able to grow the company as quick as I'm growing. I think it, it gets hard though because then I get all of the sort of satisfaction and all of the positivity and you know my drive every day and I achieve things I get those endorphins from ticking stuff off and then for Charlotte she feels like she's in the shadows at the moment but I think that we both know and we spoke about it as a couple before we did it that it's only for a period of time so we set ourselves like a two-year window where for two years Charlotte steps back from what she wants to do to to propel me and then For two years, I'm going to do the same for her, where I step back, my energy becomes more equally spread. And then we focus on her and her business and what she wants to do. It's the way that we decided to do it, because some couples would do, you both got your business, you're both doing it in parallel. 
But the way that we chose to do it because of the age of our kids and stuff was one of us becomes, you know, the business and one of us becomes the house and the home, which is a bit like 1950s-ish. And that's the thing about it. It's like, that's not how we are as a couple. Like, she's literally the boss, to be honest. Like, she tells me what to do all the time. But if you looked at us from the outside, we look like we're kind of 1950s. Charlotte's the nice lady at home and Sam's the woman. And I think that really, really annoys her as well because, you know, one of my biggest inspirations is my mom and she was a single mom for a lot of years of my life and she's a really hard worker. So I've got massive respect for women in business and women in technology and female entrepreneurs, like, you know, and then my home life says that I don't because my wife's at home looking after our kids. But I think being a homemaker and looking after your children is just as valuable as being, a, you know, an entrepreneur and being a hustler. I don't see that there's one's more important than the other. So we just try to keep that in mind all the time. What happens in two years when your business gets bigger, you diversify and a two year old business still is, is, you know, coming up to being a toddler. So it's still going to need lots of your time and energy. And your wife says, well, you you said two years and you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like six more months, six more months. Like what happens if the perfect, the stars don't align and your business is huge and needs even more of you? Yeah, we've, we're already on promise about it. So we'd have to then go to the lifestyle where we manage having two businesses. Like there's no compromise about that. So we've already as a couple just invested like a significant amount of money back into Charlotte's company to sort of bring it back to life. So from April 6th, new tax year, she's building it back up. And there's, you know, no negotiation about that. That's what we said we were going to do. So we're sticking to it. I think the thing is that we're like both quite goal orientated. So it's, in a, you know, it sounds a bit boring. Like people think, oh, it's such a robotic family. Like it's planned. Like, you know, everything I do is so planned in terms of, you know, even 12 months before we started Improve, we were looking at our, you know, direct debits of our bank together and cancelling things that weren't necessary so that we had lower household outgoings ready in case the business didn't go well. And then we did things like we made sure that we'd, you know, put money away into stocks and shares and stuff like that to try and make sure we had another income. Like we planned it all. And then next year from April, Charlotte's business is coming back to life because even though Improve is only one in April, the two-year plan started okay march 2019 so when we had our conversation you messaged me and you said really thought about our conversation what was it that made you message me back like what was it that we said that made you think "Mm," like oh that's interesting i think um it's that that we made that plan together as a couple but then we don't haven't communicated together that that's still the plan and that's still what we're doing. And, you know, you know, just to like reassure her that she's not kind of sacrificed her own identity for two years and I'm going off piece. So just literally after speaking to you, you know, as a a female entrepreneur and everything, someone who's making their business successful, just went and actually, you know, turn the TV off, put the phones in the tech box so that we've got a tech box so that we don't go on our phones and just had a chat together and just reset with each other. We're still doing this. This is still the plan. And then we started talking about what's the next wave of our life. What's the next chapter. And I think as a couple, you've got to always have that joined up plan of what you're doing together and what you're trying to achieve, not just for yourselves, but for your family and for your businesses. And I think if you 
don't keep going back to this is what we're trying to do then it can create like tensions and you know maybe a bit of resentment that one of you's getting to live your dream and the other one's you know waiting and I think I feel like with Charlotte I just kind of went back to her and spoke to her and said look I know you've been waiting but you know we're going to do your plan so I just think that was really important yeah and I think for people that are listening we also had a conversation it's not so much now but when one of your partners and we were talking about when you go out for work and if you're if you do something quite different to your partner so for example I, don't, I can't think of something but me and Mark would go out separately for work and we always had a common understanding and when I say out like Mark would go out and get he'd be like he'd go out all nice in a suit and come back like smashed <laughs> and say it's worked or it's work but I was always I was the same and it is that understanding and it you know like it is I mean, it's nice and you get to go to dinner and get to go to awards and things like that, but it is work. And I think it's really important that you do keep on the same page. You know, me and Mark both run a business. Our kids are a little bit older, but they're still quite young. But it goes back to what do we want to achieve? And I had a conversation with somebody else about being selfish and that there are some things, there are lots of things you compromise on when you're in a relationship. But I also think it's quite healthy and natural to say, I'm not going to, I am going to do this. I'm not going to not. <laughs> this does sound very selfish, but we have a trip where we go away, not with each other, once a year. Mark will use the opportunity to get as smashed as he possibly can. It's like his one week of freedom, which is ridiculous. Whereas I'm more <laughs> like... I want to go on a trip I want to go to Everest or I want to go to Kilimanjaro or I want to do like a marathon somewhere and I think you have separate parts of your life and I think you should keep that keep the things that are really important to you the, the things only you understand like Mark would think why would you want to do that and sleep in a tent like on the ground you know why would you want to do that as I'm like I, do, I won't do it all the time but I'll do it like once a year I think it's really really important but you have to communicate and I just think it's so important when you're running a business because it's so time consuming and all consuming and when we are I'm like I wake up really early and Mark wakes up really uh, goes to bed really late so I one of the things I have learned is because I'm a little bit further ahead in my biz like age-wise in my business I'm starting to get tired at 11, 12, whereas Mark's just finished his day at 11, 12. So he really wants to talk about it. And I think I've learned to be, I have to give him the same enthusiasm and same listening ear as he did as when I very first started and everything seemed exciting and tiny little problems, you know, seem so big. But when you've moved through them, you're like, oh, you know, like it's not of drama, but it is when you've never experienced it before oh yeah 100 i think that it it's also um like i try and carve out time like i said play golf and it's kind of sometimes being able to say to as a couple i'm getting this time over here carved out to me i play golf i do this this is what i want to do and then saying to charlotte charlotte what's your thing that you want to do and like carve that time out and i'll look after the kids then and you know make sure that it's balanced because i think that that's where um you know in a household if you don't feel like you're in balance with each other and that you're you know making a, a recognized contribution and that the other person values what you're doing for your lives together then i think that's where people's problems start isn't it so 
So we, I think we follow like the same kind of well-known entrepreneur. So you will, you'll know where this question's coming from. So you've talked about plan chaos. You've talked about that hustle culture and that, you, you know, very, very driven, very ambitious. And with all successful people, research suggests that there is an underlying issue an insecurity, a big thing, a a trauma that's happened in our lives that makes us do the things we do, makes us act the way that we act. What is your entrepreneur's issue? Yeah, good. Got me. (laughs) My my thing, sounds a bit deep, but I'll tell you, is is my, my grandfather's very, very successful entrepreneur. And he gave our sort of family a a really great platform in life where, you know, because of the generational wealth that he'd delivered and the way that he'd sort of put characteristics into my mom and my auntie and sort of drove us all forwards. And then for whatever reason, things went a little bit wrong. So, you know, my first sort of secondary school, five years, I was at a, a private school my parents had loads of money. I, you know, I was going off to like holidays to Australia for like three weeks. You know, I went to, you know, all these amazing things like, oh, you want to go to America with your friend, Sam, off you go, then here you go. You know, no sort of silver spoon kid, if that makes sense. No problems in my life whatsoever. And then when I was about 15, 16, because of financial issues that my parents experienced, it just changed. So I, I got pulled out of the private school in the middle of the summer holidays and got told, oh, by the way, in September, you're going here now. And then, you know, I watched it as the the sort of financial fortunes of my family began to impact me. And I think that um, my entrepreneur's drive or my entrepreneur's issue is I don't think you can have the safety and security financially unless you're the boss, unless you're in control. I don't like the idea. I don't like the idea that, something can happen to you that's outside of your control that impacts your finances. And that's what happened to my family. Something happened outside of their control that impacted their finances. Whereas I think if you're the entrepreneur and something happens to your finances, it's not anyone else's fault. And I think, think that that's my thing about why I have to be my own boss, have to be my own entrepreneur is um, if something goes wrong, it's my fault. And I'll accept that, but I can't accept when things happen to you. And I think that's my probably insecurity is that's why I'm a control freak. I I just have to be the master of my own ship. And, you know, that's quite a difficult thing for me to talk about because it's quite honest. But I think that. Well, thank you. But you haven't always run your own business. How did that play out when you were employed? Yeah, not not very well, actually. (laughs) (laughs) No, so I um I don't know if you ever heard the phrase like being being the king maker or being the king, and I, I I'm basically very good at sales. It's just my it's my skill that I've got. I don't know I've not necessarily worked on it as a craft. You know I've read a few sales books and stuff, but I'm naturally able to sell things to people. So in my first recruitment job, which was the industry I started in, I was the top billing consultant in my in my office. I was you know sort of King B, if you like. And I watched that propel other people's careers forward. I thought, hold on, like other people are making making bank on my success. And that was when I was a lot younger. 
And I've realized that why does that matter, Sam? You know, don't worry about what other people are doing, worry about yourself. So that was my first sort of learn. Then I went to another company where I developed a new business unit of a big PLC extremely quickly. It was the fastest growing annuity revenue stream in the world for this company. And me and Liam, actually, that's how we met. We grew it from zero pounds to 3.2 million pounds in 18 months. And then a big private equity firm came in and bought the big company that we worked for and went, hold on, that business unit over there, it might be really profitable, it might be smashing it, but it doesn't fit with our strategy, so we don't want it anymore. But, and that's where my entrepreneur's insecurity was like, hold on, so I've built this amazing business unit, how can I just be sort of put out to, put out to dry because I don't fit the big PE strategy? Then I went and worked for a very, very talented man, a very, very clever entrepreneur, super successful, super successful, and he's one of those proper, what I call proper entrepreneurs, where he came up with a, an idea that no one else has had. It's not like he's replicated an industry that already exists. He came up with something that nobody else had thought of. And I watched that his big sort of flaw, if you like, was he couldn't relinquish control. So his business had scaled to a certain point, And then he could never give someone control of you know, complete autonomy and complete control to let them take it to the next level. He was the the ideas guy that had built the first 5% of the company's potential, but then he needed, you know, the scaler to come in and do the next bit. And um, he and I butted heads really bad, really bad to the point where we had a massive argument together and I resigned the next day. You know, I was tw- 26 years old earning six figure salary And I just resigned on the spot because I just fundamentally disagreed with him. And I think that that's another sign again, where my wife obviously nearly killed me, by the way. But it's another sign again, where that entrepreneur's insecurity is manifesting itself in my work life. And then I went to work for, which was the role that I had just before I started my own company, went to work for, you know, just the nicest, calmest man who's like an entrepreneur and his, his approach, he's, he's run his company 25 years. And his approach is, is almost sort of Jeff Bezos style. If I look after my customer, my staff, I look after my customers. And I was watching him thinking, why are you investing all this money in these people? Like, you know, you're giving them like Christmas bonuses and running, hosting parties for them and, you know, really looking after them. And, and that was a massive learn for me because I realized that, the loyalty in his business. He had people who'd worked there 22 years, 17 years, 15 years, and he'd grown his company by looking after people. So yeah, for me, it's sort of manifested itself in, I've learned along the way that my entrepreneur's insecurity, as you called it, or entrepreneur's issue is basically led me to the point where I just have to have my own company because I can't, deal with other entrepreneurs issues if that makes sense <laughs> yeah. like, like i can't have it you have to ask liam what is his yeah well hopefully we never find out right we're just <laughs> super on track yeah I don't, I don't know we'll have to ask him yeah maybe we should get him on yeah i want to get your wife on let's get the whole team on <laughs> i think it's yeah and i would i'd invite people listening to this to it's it's what drives you what motivates you and then it's like what gets in your way because some things are you know that they're ingrained in you if they happen to you as a kid 
they're just you know like it's hard to shake off and I think sometimes you or we me you get to a situation I think someone said every every new every level there's a new devil and that devil is you think it's other things but it's not it's you it's the same things that come up they just manifest in a different sort of way and it's you know is it but it's your mindset around it's not the people or the systems or anything like that it's like your approach to getting over it and sometimes it's like you've got to I suck like a dance it's like two steps forward one step back two step forward one step back I mean I, I see it all the all the time still you know in in my in my improved business like you know I'll do things like I'll say oh can you go and check that and the, so you know the person will go off and check it and then I'll just come and check it after the <laughs> just and then I'll get I'll get emails quite frequently I had one just before we came on the podcast Hi Sam, sent this to Julia earlier, and I'm like, yeah, of course she did because she would have asked you like she was going to. But um, that's my big flaw that I've, you know, like you said, I've got to look into myself and work on that and fix that and unpick why I feel like that. And I think that, you know, my wife said something funny, like, well, it's not funny, but when when I was in hospital, she was like if you died, what would happen? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, if you died in the hospital, what would have happened? And I said, well, you've got to ring this guy called Scott and his cards in the top drawer of the desk and he's got life insurance policies and all that type of stuff. Oh, right. Okay. And how did the bills get paid out of the house? I was like, they're on direct debit. What do you mean? She's like, oh, she doesn't look at the bank. She doesn't realize that all of the sort of, um, things that are there to get our house running all the time, Charlotte. And then she said to me as well, she's like, why do you work so hard? Like, cause she logged into the bank for the first time ever while I was in hospital. Cause she was panicking. And she's like, why do you work so hard? Like, you know, you've got enough money in here to not work for however long. And I was like, yeah, but if this happened and it's like this sort of apocalyptic, <laughs> if, if something happened where, you know, Liam fell out of me and he ran away and then this happened and, you know, I couldn't get back by this time, then we'd lose it all. And I think that that's the, the big thing that I've got to get on top of as an entrepreneur is you can't have this apocalyptic, you know, situation where if I don't, like you said, if I don't come to work for two weeks, the company's dead. No, it's not. It's fine. But in Sam's mind, the company's dead. So moving forward, what's the vision for Improve? Yeah, so we um, basically we think that we've spotted a, a gap where you have traditional consultancy firms like your big four consultancy firms that come in and they'll sort of roll out their way of doing things onto the NHS and they'll, you know, the staff will get sort of put into these workshops and put into these work streams and they'll, and they'll get done to for six months. And then with our recruitment skills, because that was mine and Liam's background, both came from the recruitment sector. We've realized how important the people that work on the projects are. So, you know, you have, you have companies that are out there that they do non-elective flow improvement the same as we do, but the people who work in their teams have never worked in urgent care or worked in A&E or anything like that. So I think, the consultancy process work with the NHS. So we, we've got this phrase, we call it experts working with experts because our company wants to coach and support the NHS to do it themselves. 
rather than making it so that they become reliant on the consultancy firm. We want them to, to get the skills and the knowledge to do it themselves. And then we want to use the right people. So everyone, you know, we're so picky. The guy who runs our um, non-elective business with us, Michael, we interviewed 17 people last week to pick one person for one of our projects. And we're so picky. And even on the 17th person, we still weren't 100% that they had the right like ethics and ethos for us. And our ethics and ethos is always do the right thing. So on our website, it says, you know, right thing first time. So if we do a project and we end up making no margin, no money, that's okay because what we're focused on is the delivery for the NHS. And I think that external companies that work with the NHS, not many of them have that focus of, this is our public service. This is our NHS. This is, you know, we all pay taxes into it. It's under an enormous amount of pressure. Instead of trying to, to take money out of the system, you should be trying to add value into the system. And yeah, business is business. So, you, you know, make a profit, that's fine. But we want to be the most ethical, the most expert, non-elective improvement company in the NHS. And then I think the last bit, which is probably our journey for next year, is we want to try and bring the NHS forward 20 years in terms of like technology. Because I think my mom worked in the NHS and she's a nurse by background. And I remember, she'd probably kill me for saying this on a podcast. I remember I was about 14, 15 and she took me to work and she was working on this project. And she said to me halfway through, how, um, if you want to like reverse a percentage, how do you do it? And I was like, what do you mean? Like you're the band C program lead for the biggest central sterilized services program in, in our county and you can't do a reverse percentage. And she was like, well, no, I've obviously never had to do that. So I think that what strikes me about that is that the NHS, you've got people working so hard trying to solve such complex issues. And if we could just give them the technology and the support that they need and support them with things that if you don't know what you don't know, you don't know what you don't know is I think yeah. so if we could get a way to be able to upskill and coach and support people to use the best patient flow technology that's out there or to use the best patient pathway diversification pro program that's out there, that would be like a big win that a company like ours could achieve because, you know, I love tech. I love health tech. I'm so like interested in digital health. I read like, magazines and papers and everything i'm really into it and you know i've got the luxury of being able to explore with all these companies what their solutions do and what they don't do and what their problems are and what their problems aren't and obviously you've got public sector procurement and stuff like that so it's not like i can just go do you know what nhs you should use this yeah but i can kind of say you should you should look at this one yeah and i think using my network to sort of show people the best technology that they could use for their job that's really important to, to us as well, because I think the, the biggest crisis for the NHS is the workforce. You know, there's not enough nurses, there's not enough doctors, there's not enough GPs. We hear it all the time. So the only way to make up that shortfall, you know, I don't want to sound defeatist, but it's too late to, to you know, train 100,000 more nurses too late. So what we need to do is, is give the nurses the best possible technology to help them do more in a day. That's all we can do now. I think you could, you're not going to recruit 100,000 nurses. Doesn't matter if you get them from overseas or start funding an extra 100,000 university places, etc. 
the actual nurses aren't going to arrive for three years. So in that time, we've got to use technology better. Thank you so much, Sam. If people want to find out more, where can they connect with you? LinkedIn's my favourite, but I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. But um, yeah, LinkedIn, uh, Sam Olsop will have a look for me. Everything I do is on there. Yeah, and I love connecting with people. Really, really like, I think you can learn something from everyone you speak to. So it's been my kind of motto when I network. I think your network's your net worth or another cheesy phrase. I've <laughs> cool, thank you. Thanks, Tara. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five-star review. I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. It's really, really funny. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.